Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to Bite Size Technology, where we'll help educate and hopefully entertain you on all things IT. Hi there, everybody. Uh, welcome uh, to the latest edition of the Bite Size podcast. Uh, my name is David Rawl. I am the CTO here at Bite Software Services. And joining me today is Justin Harris from CrowdStrike. Hi, Justin. How are you doing? Hello. Uh, thanks for inviting me along. Good to speak to you. Yeah, nice to see you. And we're going to have a hopefully somewhat meaningful conversation about cloud security. Yeah, we've tried not to rehearse this, everybody. So we apologize if we get a little bit lost in the middle and go around in circles a little bit. But we've tried very much to not rehearse it because I find you, you tend to do your best work on something like this when you do the rehearsal. And uh, then when you try and re re reproduce it, it always sounds a bit wooden. So we'll keep it as, as chatty as possible. So we've, we've got a rough agenda that we're going to work through. And, and hopefully you guys out there are listening to this will find it informative. So we thought, Justin, didn't we, that we'd, we'd start with some of the challenges around multi-cloud. Um, we did. And, we and, about it, didn't we? Yeah, and specifically some of the, what people forget when they say multi-cloud for me, um, and, and some of the, the issues that, the way we're going to kind of play this is I'm going to do the, the bites part of it. So what we see is challenges from a business point of view, and, and then Justin um, is obviously going to talk about some of the technology of how things can be, can be done and, and, and the CrowdStrike view on it. But I think the biggest thing for me, and we were talking about this earlier, Justin, is that people forget when they talk about multi-cloud, even customers we've got that are only in one cloud, be it Azure or AWS, Oracle, whichever one, they'll go, yeah, we've only got one cloud. And we go, got nothing on-premise at all then, not, not even so much as a very small server. And they go, oh, yeah, 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 and it's hooks up too, and we've got a bit of synchronization, and we've got AD Connect, and it's like, that's hybrid cloud, that's multi-cloud. And people I forget completely that, don't agree. They? Yeah, I think we've had cloud for a lot longer than people realize. So you look at VMware, um, OpenStack, they've been around for a while. Um, but I think probably the difference between what we call the new public cloud providers and the traditional sort of on-prem providers is that what AWS, Azure and Google bring you to a certain extent is a consolidated API where a customer in the private cloud may have been using two or three, like a, Cisco ACI with VMware. So, but we've been using clouds and APIs for, for a large amount of time now, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you'd hope because that, you know, it's, it's Microsoft or Amazon or Oracle that providing the infrastructure that those, those cloud infrastructures are much better managed than we probably achieved when we were building our own clouds on premise as well. As you say, it's much more consistent, much more controlled, isn't it? Yes, I think that's that's probably the advantage they have is that they built up the infrastructure to, to provide that API. If you think when we were doing it on on prem, we first had to build the ACI infrastructure or the VMware infrastructure before we could then put, yeah. add our virtualization or our workloads on top of that. And so they do that for us. But of course, with all of that, as we were saying, comes complexity. And all of these tools are different. So all of these tools are slightly different. You know, AWS works differently to, to Azure. And when you start to go multi-cloud, um, you, you have challenges around that. But so, so you know, coming to the, the point of this first section, we've got numerous customers of Bytes who actually made a decision to go single public cloud. So they've got their on-premise stuff and they've gone single uh -huh. cloud. Yep. Because they find that easy, right? And I suppose I would imagine you've, you've got a fair number of customers you've seen that probably made that decision. Maybe not recently, it has to be said, but certainly made that decision in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I think... People have gone to cloud for many different reasons, I think. Um, sometimes they believe that maybe well, it'll be cheaper, and I don't think it's necessarily cheaper. I think it's certainly easier, It's certainly you're, you, if you, and it's less CapEx intensive, but 
Um, I think there's a number of reasons why people are driven to the crowd. Um, but I think the the one thing you can say is that you can obviously bring your mar- your products to market more quickly than you would if you were building a sort of private infrastructure. Yeah. But then this is the this is the rub. So, you know, in terms of work through the flow, we've got as bytes, we've got a number of customers that have gone single cloud, which is great. You know, they've made the move. They've gone cloud first. Yeah. They they've made the move. Maybe not cloud native, although the one of them it has to be said in particular is cloud native. But none of these cloud providers are perfect. You know, we saw mass outages about six to eight weeks ago in AWS that affected many of what we refer to as like these common providers such as Facebook uh, cool. and all of their associated infrastructure. Um, as your has its little little snafus from time to time where it goes down. And sure. what we're now being asked to do is to stand up services to help customers prove that when there's an outage, it wasn't their fault, that it was the responsibility of the cloud provider okay. so they can get out of being on financial penalties. So they so have like, to build SLAs into their contract that say that when it's outside of their control, they're, no, they're not. They know, exactly. Right. Penalties. Okay, yeah. interesting. So what I yep. sit down with them and go, rather than do that, why don't you build a multi-cloud environment? Okay, yeah. because then you can fail over between the two. But of course, that brings uh, a whole plethora of additional issues with it. Yeah, the, the, I think the workloads are easy to move. I think the, the hardest piece, I think, is often sometimes the data. Yes. The data and, is much harder to, to deal with. And I think businesses don't want to pay for two lots of data, do they? You know, you don't want to pay for no, absolutely. X number of yeah. terabytes in Azure and then pay for exactly the same number of terabytes in um, uh, AWS and then the same in Oracle if you really wanted to go belt and brace to see. Yeah. I mean, that would just be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, um, I really agree. And of course, the other challenge for me in terms of that is that you're now, um, I mean, forget just say as you're an on-premise, you're now having to provide security solutions and platforms for multiple different ones. And of course, AWS does security differently to Azure, which does it differently to Oracle, that does it differently to on-premise. And I am going to keep that in the conversation. There'll be some people who are listening to this going, why yeah. do he keeps talking about on-premise? But on-premise has its own security stack. And I'll tell you this much. There might be some overlap between what you can do in Azure and AWS, but AWS don't make on-premise security, and Azure don't make, you know, Microsoft don't make on-premise security, you know, in the same way that they do for for cloud. So yeah, they tend to be very to integrated with their own. Yes, they tend to be very integrated with their own products, and as you say, they don't really cover anybody else's. And there's there's also a huge difference in capability across the different providers. So. I don't think you can take one cloud provider's security solutions and map them directly to another's. There, there is probably security is one of the areas where there is the biggest difference in terms of capabilities across the different yeah. products. No, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that we very much agreed is, you know, when, when we're doing these podcasts, when, when we're not going to do product plugging. But for me, this is where we have to turn to you guys as as independent security vendors rather than the cloud providers, because I can deploy your solution on any of the clouds and get back it in, get it all back in a single reporting dashboard, right? So, yeah, you know, I, I can't do that with an AWS tool or an Azure tool. I need something else, don't I? Yes, I think it, it, looking at it rationally, the only way that third-party software security vendors are going to survive is to do something that enhances what you get already from the traditional from the cloud providers. So there's no point in doing exactly what they do. We have to 
They have to do a job that enhances the data you get from those cloud providers and makes it multi-cloud, so it allows you to operate in a multi-cloud way. If we don't have products to do that, we won't be we won't have a, a, a viable business. Yeah, agreed. And I think for us, we still see, you know, from a, a customer opportunity point of view, if you like, the, the, the opportunity that we get to help our customers with the most is this multi-cloud conundrum. Yes. Um, and how to secure it. And of course, it then bleeds on into another area, which is misconfiguration. Because if you recruit an Azure person um, and they have to learn AWS, they might make mistakes with AWS. Um, then they have to work with the on-premise team to provide a seamless you know, set of configuration and everything else. And that's yeah. where we move into this, this topic of cloud security posture management, isn't it? Because there's a difference between uh, security by design, I suppose, and accidental breaches and, and things like that. You know, you can run a port scan against an Azure setup and it might say no vulnerabilities. Well, there'd be no vulnerabilities if you had an insecure storage blob sat there it, or, or a SQL server that was open to the internet. It's not vulnerable because it's patched, right? So we've got yes. to get into that now. Yeah, I think what I sometimes say to customers when they're first moving to the cloud is the, the cloud is... One of the, the great advantages of the cloud and the public clouds and the, also the disadvantages of the public cloud is it presents a public API so that everyone has access to your API now. So you can only secure it, secure it with credentials. So credential theft is really, really important. If we think about the sort of on-prem clouds, you first had to sort of breach that environment. You had to get behind the firewalls. You had to find a host that had the API that was then able to talk to VMware or talk to ACI. They were different stacks, different credentials. So it was harder to get there. What you have from a hacker's perspective uh, with the public clouds is a fully documented, fully accessible API. So you, if you're an AWS customer, you heard in theory with lost credentials you have or misconfigurations, you have full access to their infrastructure. So we have to think about the way we secure environments in a slightly different way. And that's where misconfigurations become really important. And back to your point, it's really easy to get up and running with the public cloud. And I think we talked about this as a discussion point. It's very, the cloud providers want you to get up and running quick, as quickly as possible. So they make it very easy to get the services up and running. That doesn't mean to say they're, they're secure as soon as they're running. It's, it's, there's more steps you have to take and it's easy to make mistakes or it's easy to ignore some of the security settings that you need. Right. And that's where the CSPM comes in. It's a really interesting point you made. I mean, you're building infrastructure in cloud, particularly if you consume something like SQL as a service or something like that, where pretty much every single thing about that infrastructure is known. You're yeah. literally, you may as well put a big sign on the outside of your building saying, our infrastructure is configured like this, now guess the password. You know, as a starting point, yes. Exactly. You know, that's the analogy. The, the other analogy I'd use, and it, it, it's one that came up this morning. Is this if you start with one? that assumption that everyone knows how your infrastructure is built and what APIs you're using, and then think about how you need to mitigate that risk, that is a good place to start. Yeah. Well, it's like mobile devices. I mean, we we still weirdly don't see a lot of people buy uh, security for mobile devices for their iPhones, for their Android phones, for their iPads. It's starting okay. to build up finally, but we still see yeah. very low consumption rates of that. But then tell me another part of your infrastructure that every single time a person communicates outside of the business, they give away the entry point on that device, i.e. the phone number. Yeah. They literally give away the entry point on everything they do. Yes. You imagine if we said that. So, yeah, we're going to let that server communicate, but we're going to make sure we put a signpost of how to access it on every single transaction it does. Okay, you can't do that. 
it's people just have these gaps because it's in cloud and because the tool says it's safe or they followed the wizard it's all great isn't it yeah to be fair to the cloud providers they do a really good job and i know everyone's probably seen it you know security of the cloud or securing your the 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 shared responsibility model but it, it it really is something you have to grasp is that they the cloud providers do a really good job but they can't they can't fix things for you they can't secure things for you it's still up to you to do it yeah and it is relatively easy to get it wrong oh but i mean well in fact i mean i i don't do as much technical work as i used to but i still spin up the odd thing in azure and you know what if you're not if you're not a lot of modern of modern techies, you know, I, I sound so old when I say this, right? But a lot of people don't understand like public private keys and SSH, for instance, it's a bit of a mystery to them. I mean, yeah. it shouldn't be, but it is. And yeah. if you spin up an Ubuntu server in Azure, it asks, it leaves SSH open to the internet by default. Yes. And it asks you to either set a username or password, and it strongly recommends you generate a key. But if you're on a Windows machine, and you don't understand about those keys, but somebody in, in development or somewhere else has asked you to spin them up an Ubuntu server, you're going to pick a username and password and you're going to leave SSH secure to the, insecure to the internet. I mean, I, I dread to think how many servers are set up like that. I've been built by Windows people, not Unix yes. people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We, it's, it's very, very common. And I, I don't think, I think every organization is probably like it. Um, I think... The, what you even see with the more mature organizations now, they still have a lot of stuff that's kind of still running, still out there, don't really know who, who started it, who spun it up. They don't have a decent tagging strategy. There's, there's all sorts of things. And I think that part of that CSPM market is, is customers just trying to get a handle of what out, what's out there and what, what is built, how is it built. And of course, multi-cloud again, right? Yes. In, in an ideal world, Even you want a tool that will give you the view of everything you've built, not just, yeah. just don't get me wrong, Microsoft's got some good tools built in. They have they're got excellent. some good tools built in. Yeah. They're really good. They're, excellent. Yeah. they're not going to tell you about the different estates. No, you you uh, need to, you it, you either got to go to the, as you've either got to build out an Azure specialization team and an AWS specialization team, or you've got to embrace that multi cloud. And I think at that point, it becomes very hard to learn all the different tools. And that's where you probably need to talk about a multi-cloud tool. And, and the thing I also find fascinating about it is generally, say, if you're just Azure, the Azure tools to secure it are actually really good value. Yes. But you're paying more. And, and the argument I get back all the time is, yeah, but Microsoft make the tools available to scan AWS now. So you can do it from the Microsoft yeah. state if you've got both. Yeah. But guess what? You pay more for the Microsoft tools to scan AWS that you would, than you would do for a third-party vendor product. Yeah, because they don't want you to do it. That's right. And that's absolutely. And I think there's also a perception that the the cloud native tools, because they're they're integrated, are cheaper. Yeah. I don't think that's always the case either. It's not it's not the case. I mean, they'll be well, they'll be cheaper for certain things. Yes. It's like we we find that, for instance, uh, complete tangent for a second, but Microsoft Sentinel is a lot cheaper because most of the offers around Microsoft Sentinel, that's this their SIM solution. For the Microsoft Cloud Stack, the storage is free. They don't charge you for the storage of the events for the Microsoft Cloud Stack because yeah. they're already built in. So it is cheaper if you're purely, literally purely cloud. But as soon as you want to store a single event that wasn't generated in the cloud, cost goes through the roof. Yeah. So that it's very effective for, for very certain workloads. Yeah, I think it's I think honestly, when customers are looking around, just treat it as another tool and do they should do their due diligence on it in exactly the same way. And I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's very much dependent on the customer. 
But um, yeah, if you are multi-cloud, then the third-party market does have a place definitely because, as I said, going back to the base, we wouldn't have a business if we couldn't do, we couldn't enhance what the, the, the cloud providers provide today. And then I think the final thing, and really interesting, you just touched on this, in terms of you know that legacy infrastructure I and mean, legacy we're calling old cloud stuff legacy now <laughs> but that 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 legacy infrastructure that might be old terraform code or even worse might have been built as a manual server in yeah. azure or aws you know somebody's built a windows or, or an ubuntu server i was just saying and it's they've literally not got their heads around the opportunity of cloud at all you know that still needs securing and, it, and if it has been built as infrastructure as a code which absolutely is the way people should be going how do you know that if you redeploy that script you're not getting vulnerabilities how are you assessing that how how are you vetting that and i mean that's a whole nother ball game completely because people just assume it's secure and they assume that if that code isn't revised it stays secure don't they yes yeah uh, and i'm a i'm a real advocate for infrastructure as code and i, I know it's a buzzword that's put around and it, it it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to people but the way I, I think about it is, is that if you build everything as code, it's the barrier to entry to cloud becomes higher because you have to put more effort in. Certainly, if you if you wanted to spin up a VM in Azure and AWS, you could do it in a couple of minutes on the GUI. But then if you but if you want to build a Terraform template or an Azure ARM or CloudFormation, whatever you want to build, it takes a little bit longer to put that template together. But the difference is if I build that, I can build that repeatedly time and time and time again um and i can build it reliably and you know i can i can truly spin up my entire infrastructure in 15 20 minutes if i'd spend the time and effort investing in building the infrastructure as code so although the barrier to entry is is higher because it's an education piece it's i always say to a lot of the customers i speak to is you are better off in a way just giving everyone read-only access from the cloud GUI and making them build it as infrastructure as yeah. code as, as, as a starting I, point. I completely agree. I mean, it literally, if you build it properly the first time, the amount of time you will save, you know, yes. o, o, over the future is just, I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable. And then, of course, that you know, the challenge does switch. Like I said, you, you can't just switch your brain off with that. It's like, well, we've done it. It's like infrastructure version one completed it. Because if you respin up that infrastructure in a year's time, the vulnerabilities might have changed, threat profiles might have changed, the defaults, the defaults yeah. in Azure AWS must have changed. Yeah. And again, that's where cloud security posture management really comes back into it, because it can just give you the tap on the shoulder and go, you might want to modify that script to close this off. Yeah, and I think it helps spot the anomalies as well, because one thing with CSPM tools, and they're all the same, is if you, if you overlay a CSPM tool in a pre-built cloud environment where a lot of stuff has been built from the GUI, it will light up a dashboard with loads and loads of misconfigurations very, very quickly. And you, you have to then work through that process of was that, that, was that VM spun up manually or was it spun up mm -hmm. through a template? If you can build things through the template in the first place, you can almost use the CSPM tool as a feedback. So, yeah. okay, it's spun it up, it's identified a, a misconfiguration or a vulnerability, go back and fix the template, build again. So it becomes much, much easier as well to spot the anomalies, to spot the bad actors. Because if, if I know that everyone's building from templates and things come up in a clean, well-configured state, and suddenly a VM appears that's out of compliance, so there's the wrong tags or it's open to the internet, 
that's yeah. a big red flag straight away that either someone's using the GUI and they shouldn't be, or someone's actually managed to gain access, to compromise the keys, go gain some credentials, and is starting to spin up infrastructure in my estate. It becomes much, much easier. If you, if you know every 90% is good, it becomes very, very easy to spot that bad 10%. And I think it, it really, for me, pushes the argument of if you are going to keep some on-premise infrastructure, if you're a business that, you know, if you need a large amount of spinning disk storage, for instance, sometimes it's just cheaper to keep it in-house yeah. than it is to pay yeah. for it out. But make the investment up front so you can deploy that, that infrastructure as code, both internally and externally, because then you've got that consistency of approach with whatever you're doing. And it, and it is yeah. possible. You just have to put the effort into it, don't you? Yeah. And in terms of complexity, infrastructure of code with sort of workloads fronting onto a, a data store, is, it's, it's, not that, it's not particularly complex. And as you say, once you've invested that time up front, um, you, get, you reap the rewards for it from a DR perspective, from an audit perspective from lots of different perspectives. And I, we certainly see a lot of organizations who do have that kind of hybrid, private cloud, public cloud infrastructure. And, you know, moving data to the public cloud, I think is the last step that everyone takes um, because we've, we've known how to build secure, resilient data stores on-prem for a long time. And I don't think, you know, if, if data is there and it's there forever, I don't necessarily think you save a lot of money going to the public cloud with it. No, no, I agree completely. So, wow, we, we were asked to do 20 minutes. We're already at 21. Um, <laughs> that, that's been, I mean, hopefully people who, who are going to be listening to this have found that's useful. It's kind of for, for you and I a little bit of a whistle-stop tour about what really matters to us about cloud security and, and how we think things should be done. I think it's, you know, to summarize for everybody, do do multi-cloud. Don't forget that multi-cloud does include the on-premise element of what you're doing. Do think about minimizing the number of tools to get consistency and to make your life easier and really do use infrastructure as code and, and build your infrastructure that way because it's it's just going to make your life a whole lot easier, isn't it, Justin? So I think that's that kind of that's summary. Really good summary. Covered. Yeah. I think that's a really good summary. Okay. Thank you very much for, for giving up that bit of time for us. It's really appreciated. Um, I hope everybody's listening, find it's useful and um, we'll leave you to it. Thank you very much, everyone. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Technology. Please do watch out for our next session coming soon.